there's been a small hiatus, but I am back. And today we are going to actually talk about my favorite unit in the Night's Watch, the Ranger Hunters. So you guys know the routine by now, so we're going to get right down into it. Ranger Hunters clock in at 8 points. We have a movement value of 6. We have 2 attacks, a short bow at 3 plus to hit, 7 dice, 6 dice, 5 dice. A melee attack in the form of Swift Strike. Uh, also the same profile, three dice, seven dice, uh, sorry, three plus, seven dice, six dice, and dropping down to five dice. Defensive stats, we have a five plus defense and a six plus morale. We have three abilities on here, technically two. The short bow just has one listing short range. We have swift strike on the melee attack, which is after this attack is completed, this unit will make a free retreat action if engaged, and then opportunist. If this unit attacks an enemy that has not activated this round, it may reroll any misses. So let's start off. These guys are very expensive at 8 points, but we have a full gambit of abilities and attacks to more than make them worth it. And we'll get into why this is my absolute favorite unit in the Night's Watch, currently released uh, a little bit, but let's delve into some of these stats. So right off the bat, we have their short bow and their melee attack, both carrying the same profile, but 3 plus to hit, 7 dice, 6 dice, 5 dice. Meaning that these guys don't have the highest value attack die, as our curve kind of sits between... Um, 9 to 6, but they're squarely in the middle. The important thing to note about these guys, though, is that they don't really ever falter off. Yes, they can drop down to 5 dice, but 5 dice at red is still going to put them above average uh, compared to most every other unit out there. So these guys are going to have consistent damage throughout their entire lifespan. In addition to that, they're going to have a 3 plus to hit on both attacks. Now, the transition between having a 4 plus to a 3 plus might only seem like 16% to some people, but really that's a huge jump between moving from 50% of the time you're going to be hitting to 66% of the time. So that's something to not be discredited. Now, something to note on these guys is that, yes, they've got their short bow attack, it's a short range attack, and they don't really have any true positioning things to help them with the alpha strike on that. We'll get more into the short bow range attack though, but that shouldn't be their primary use. Of course, saying that swift strike carries the same attack profile, but you're going to get your charge bonuses, but that should not also be their main uh, offensive thing as well. The thing about these guys is that they can take on any threat that comes at them, and they can do it well. They can attack things from range if they need to. They can charge in and deal some damage and get out. These guys are not a sustained unit, however. If we look at their defensive stats, having a 5-plus defense and a 6-plus morale is not going to win you any prolonged engagements. You need to be smart when you're playing these guys. But the thing is that these guys can absolutely just dominate the battlefield when it comes to positioning. And that's via the use of their swift strike ability and their speed of 6. This is one of the units I really feel in the game that if you look at them on paper, they are going to look just kind of okay. You guys really need to play them and see them on the battlefield to see their full effectiveness, and that's what really makes these guys scary. Because there's just so many situations that's going to come up that you're going to go, oh, but I can do this. Oh, but if I do this, then this is going to happen, and that's going to make my opponent just die. Those things you really can't see too much on paper in theorycraft, and you've got to see it in actual execution. But let's run through a couple of those. So the important thing to note, these guys have a speed of 6, which is going to put them amongst the fastest units in the game. That is going to be... Uh, incredibly important when you factor in their swift strike ability which allows them to make a retreat action um, after they make a melee attack. So these guys already have a high threat range because they're going to be faster than most units so they're going to often get the charge off. They're going to get the charge in, go in there with their seven dice, 
yeah, okay, they don't have any special abilities there, but you're still hitting on 3 plus of reroll, which means that you're probably going to be hitting most everything you, you uh, are rolling. So you're going to hit, and then you're going to make your retreat action. And this is where these guys are going to shine. Because first off, you can just retreat straight back. Um, odds are, even on an average roll, you're going to put yourself on... Okay, average roll on a d6 doesn't exist. But let's just say for sake of it that you're going to roll a 4 plus. That's going to put you at 10 plus inches away. Okay, if you're 10 inches away from an enemy unit, that means the standard unit in the game has to roll a 5 plus to get to you. Which means that they're only going to pass that 33% of the time. If you roll 5 or 6, they're going to need to roll a 6 to hit you, and that's going to drop it down to 16%. Okay, this is where that transition, that one numeric transition, really makes a difference in this. And that's what a lot of people discredit, because a lot of people don't even like making charges that they've got a chance to fail. And here you're making it so they're going to fail this uh, charge 66% of the time to high 80% chance of the time. And that's just on basic rolls. Yes, there's always the chance that, you know, you can roll really badly, and then you'll move only like, say, an inch away. And then, yeah, okay, so, well, not an inch away, and seven inches away but even then that's going to put you out of range for some units if they roll a one on their charge so that's already something to factor in and that's one of those micro math things in the game that really comes into play so yeah i would suck getting char counter charged but that's a risk you're running and frankly you know that's the same as any other unit okay you're going to get counterattacked, and it's going to be a pain but really a strategy for these guys is noting that you can retreat sideways Okay, very simple concept there, but a lot of people tend to overlook that. And the reason that's important is because, let's say you move any distance to the flank. It doesn't really matter how far, just enough to clear out a retreat. Your opponent then has two options, because they're going to get to pivot now that they're unengaged. They can either stay facing the same direction, and now that your, their flank is exposed, which means that you can shoot them or charge them, getting rerolls of opportunist, and now you're causing a minus one to defense and morale, or they can turn to face you which means that you've just displaced the enemy. Okay, If they're turning to face a flank, then that means they're not facing probably the rest of your army. Okay, So looking at these guys in a vacuum, yeah, the enemy's just going to chase them around the table, charge them, whatever, but you should never look at things in a vacuum. Ranger hunters are part of one piece of your army. If they're supporting you to have Sworn Brothers, then your opponent now has a choice. Are they going to get pelted in the flank by a bunch of Ranger hunters, potentially charged in with rerolls, or just get shot at? Or they can expose their flank to a bunch of Sworn Brothers who now have, you know, have Sundering and Critical Blow and get a minus two. I mean, in that situation, it's an easy answer. You know, you don't turn away from the Sword Brothers, assuming they're going to charge into you. But now your Hunters are free, and more so, they're out of danger to sit there and do what they need to do. So basically, you, got, you treat these guys kind of like a little pinball unit. They're going to slam into something and then ricochet off in another direction. But even if you're moving straight back, you need to factor in other things, like terrain. If there's even a single bit of hindering terrain between you and the opponent that you can just hit them and then dive back into, that's going to make that charge almost impossible for the opponent. If they roll two dice and take the lowest, and you're going to be safe. So the really big focus on these guys is don't look at their, just their raw stats, because their stats are already fairly impressive, but they're not eight points impressive. But what you need to look at these guys is exactly what they can do in tandem with the battlefield situation. And also looking into the vows, because Night's Watch, you know, you've got vows that are going to permanently buff units. And that's something to factor in, because I do see a lot of people comparing these to other units at the same point cost. The thing about those other units and other armies that you're comparing them to is they can't take vows, okay? You can't really just 
binary look at a unit and go, oh, well, this is eight points, and then this other army is eight points. The other army has different tactics. The other army has different tactics. Cards, different commanders. All of these things factor into a unit's point cost, okay? Ranger hunters in a Lannister army would probably not be the same points as they are in a Night's Watch army, as they would be in a Stark army. Ranger hunters in a Stark army would be terrifying. Anyway, that's a completely separate topic. So, looking at these guys right here, uh, going back to just, again, their cards and their stats, you have Opportunist, which also is going to put pressure on the opponent because now the activation game is going to matter. Uh, you're going to get rerolls. <coughs> I apologize there. Side note, by the way, guys, I've been traveling a lot, so I might be a little sick, so if I've got some smooth baritones coming out of my voice, that is not intentional. I'm not trying to seduce the audience any more than I usually do, ladies. Anyway, um, you have Opportunist here, which is going to put added pressure on the opponent, because now if you're shooting them in the flank, uh, you're going to get to reroll any of your misses. So you're going to be shooting them in the flank, causing that mini sundering effect and that minus one to morale test. Now I will say that usually it's going to be better to charge into someone because you're going to be able to trigger swift retreat, uh, sorry, uh, swift strike, get in, get out. But there are certain units that you're not going to want to engage in melee, and that's really what that short bow comes into uh, play. Uh, another mistake that people play with these guys is that kind of like pyromancers, they will look at them as going, "Oh, this is a ranged unit and it's short range." Like, no. These guys are a melee unit that happens to have a ranged attack. Situationally, use the ranged attack when it matters. Otherwise, you know, use your swift strike. It's usually better to charge in and get those rerolls because you're going to be able to duck right back out. So, you know, it's again going to matter on the situation, but don't lean too heavy on the short bow unless it's, you know, necess you know a necessity here. As far as those vows I was talking about, the Sword in the Darkness is just a generically good one for these guys. You know, two extra attack dice is great because they have an extra ability to throw on rerolls. Um, and they like to charge in a lot. And because of that speed, they're usually going to get the charge off versus some other units. So that's going to be beneficial. But really, these guys are going to make heavy use of the Watcher on the wall. Because that's going to allow them to get into position, get into flanks, and just be a general hassle for the opponent. Uh, these guys, Ranger Hunters and Ranger Trackers... You know, they tie in well together to really create an army that can focus on the flanks and really just be a general pain in the ass for the opponent to deal with. Shields of the Realms of Men are going to give these guys a little bit extra survivability, but frankly, I think that's better on other units that are dedicated tanks. Like, I would actually like to pair these guys in tandem with some veterans of the watch. Get the shield on the veterans, get them up in combat, and then the ranger hunters will just be free to you know, move around the flanks and start shooting and charging, because the veterans are not really going to care if you charge, or sorry, if you shoot into melee and trigger a panic test. I mean, most of the Night's Watch in general aren't, but especially the veterans. They're just a fantastic anvil unit, and these guys here are just a nice little surgical scalpel. So let's talk about attachments, because you actually have a lot of options that make these guys very interesting. Uh, my favorite attachment for these guys, period, is going to be Brawn. Uh, because he is going to have his extra incentive ability, which is going to give you plus one speed, boosting these guys up to a staggeringly fast seven speed, which is just going to enhance everything I talked about. You're going to get plus two attack dice on all your attacks, so you're going to get on your ranged attacks, you're going to get on your melee attacks, and then you're going to get plus two to your morale test rolls. That's kind of just gravy on top, because these guys already have a good morale, but that's just giving you that little extra boost. Really, for him, though, that plus one speed and those plus two extra attack dice are just so good on these guys. Uh, looking at other options here, you actually have uh, Brienne. Brienne's going to give them Stalwart, which I believe is, again, going to be a little wasted. But frankly, she has that Knightly Vow ability, which is the unit's melee attacks, getting plus one to hit and roll plus two dice against that target. Now, the trackers, sorry, the hunters here, have the speed to actually engage that unit, and getting plus one to hit is going to give them a two plus, 
and then two extra dice is going to boost them up to nine dice. So nine dice hitting on a two plus with the ability to charge in and out of combat is just pretty nasty. Um, I actually do like a lot of the neutral options when it comes to the Ranger Hunters and actually the Night's Watch in general. Uh, the third option is actually Roos Bolton. Even if you're not running anything else that is House Bolton, he's going to give them Ferocious Assault, so any guy they charge is going to become panicked, and these guys are going to charge a lot, because you're going to be ducking in and out of combat. He also has Prey on Fear, which is anytime the enemy fails a panic test, you know, like when you made them panicked. Um, you can restore up some additional wounds, which is going to give these guys just a little bit of survivability, but the thing is, these guys are not a sustained unit. But frankly, that little plus two that you're just getting can really make these guys a pain, especially combined with some of the other Night's Watch healing. Uh, aside from that, looking at this, the general attachments that the Night's Watch have access to, you have Jor. If you're running him as your commander, he's going to give them the Oath of the Black ability so you can start cycling out those vows. That's just generically useful across most of the Night's Watch, so I'm not really going to say he's any better or worse on them than he is almost any other Night's Watch unit. I would prefer to stick Chor in a more Anvil unit, though, rather than the Hunters, because it's very specific what the Hunters want to get with their uh, Vows, and that's really, to me, your extra attack, or your extra mobility. So, once they have one of those two, I'm kind of satisfied with it. Cycling does not really do them a lot of good. Uh, Jon Snow, I really wouldn't bother sticking him in there, because, uh, sorry, the Commander version, because, yeah, Indomitable is nice, but again, these guys are not a sustained unit, and he really wants to be in a sustained uh, group. Uh, watch Captain, getting double vows on these guys is nice. It's a okay combo. It makes them a 10-point unit. The They can get some benefits for doing so, but frankly, I for those same two points, I would much rather in this specific unit stick in Brawn or Brienne or find the extra point somewhere for Roos. With Roos, it makes it a little bit of an option because he, he, he does make them an 11-point unit, and that puts them a little bit above my comfort threshold. But again, I really like Braun or Brienne. If I was only running one unit of these guys, it would be Braun in that unit. That would be the first off go-to attachment that would stick to these guys that is currently released. So that would be my top pick. If you're running multiple units, then feel free to space them out. But frankly, I believe this is a unit that also benefits just from kind of being vanilla on its own. Uh, another unit uh, attachment that would be good in here, the <coughs> excuse me, the attachment version Jon Snow, Lord Snow, gives them boldness and courage which is when they make the melee attack, they count as having one additional rank, and if they already have full ranks, they're going to roll plus two dice. The thing is, is that really for that, you're going to get Ghost, which is going to give you another flanking unit, because Boldness and Courage on this unit in specific is okay, but as I talked about, these guys don't really lose a lot of attack dice as they're going down ranks. They go seven, six, five. So here, he's buying you one additional die, uh, except at max ranks, he's going to buy you two more, but we can get that benefit as well with uh, Brawn and Brienne. So here you're getting him because he's going to give you Ghost, but I feel if you really want that addition, you can get you can stick John in other units to really get that as well. So that's about going to wrap up my thoughts on the uh, Ranger Hunters. As far as an army goes that you could run these guys with, there's a limited amount of Night's Watch commanders available right now until their hero box comes out. And really both of them synergize quite well with um, them. The Hunters are one of these units that, because of their harassing nature, and what they can do, they can really kind of fit into any army, and they will do well. It just matters on your playstyle. So you run a single unit of these guys just to go off on the flanks, maybe stick in some trackers as well just to give you some other options, and then you make a solid core of some Sworn Brothers or Veterans of the Watch to make up your Anvil Center, and that would be a nice little army.
frankly, I think that if you want to run some hyper elite stuff, you could go two units of trackers, two units of hunters. That's going to clock in at 28 points. You've got 12 points left over to really season as you want with some additional units, maybe a couple of units of Sworn Brothers. And, um, well, that's going to put you at 12 points right there. So maybe one unit of veterans instead at eight points. And then a couple of uh, NCU options, a four-point, a three-pointer. Or, um, you know, hell, even try running just one. Knight's Watch, though, really do like uh, running the tactics board control just because of the vows. But it really depends on who you have. If you just run, like, Littlefinger as your one NCU, then you can have some more versatility there as well. So... Again, don't really have too many list options or suggestions for these guys. These guys are supplemental units, and currently you're not going to have a list that you're going to run really, I think, just focusing primarily on these guys. Now, in the future, yeah, that's definitely going to change. There's some nasty things coming out, but those are for the future, and we don't do spoilers. So that's going to wrap it up, guys. Join me next time. We'll talk about something else. Take care.